Hello and welcome to the Money Mitch Effect. I am your host, Mitch Michaels, and today's show is all about Super Bowl 51. The New England Patriots win in dramatic fashion, 25 points down, a record-setting comeback. I got Adam Musto in studio to break down all the angles of this game. New England wins their fifth under the Brady-Belichick regime. The Falcons, did they give this game away? We will be discussing that as well as what to look going forward for both these franchises. Roger Goodell had to give the trophy to Belichick and Brady. That was a little awkward. And Lady Gaga's halftime performance. Money Mitch Effect, Adam Musto. Thanks for listening. Let's recap this game. Okay, Money Mitch Effect here with Adam Musto. Back again. Super Bowl 51. Well... Adam, that was interesting. I think it, it really switched on us. We thought we were going for another blowout in the playoffs. Once again, it is good to have you here, but man, that was a stunning event. The Patriots coming out on top 34 to 28 in overtime, 25 unanswered points. Fifth Super Bowl for this dynasty. Yeah, something I would never expect. And it's funny because I, I didn't really know what to expect from this game. And I know, you know, a couple of our coworkers are Patriot fans and and I would never imagine a Patriot team in the playoffs to be blown out. I mean, even there's only a handful of games you could really think about in the Belichick era where the Patriots were blown out, and it would never happen in the playoffs. You know, that Chiefs Monday night game, I think there was a game against the Browns in 2011, 20, 2010 or so. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, this was this Super Bowl is just something that you just don't see in Super Bowls. The, lo- the largest lead was 10 points. That's gone. Obviously, no Super Bowls ever going to overtime. And then just the five titles. You know, you have Bradshaw and Montana with four. This one really put the Patriots up over the top. I mean, they're almost... I know there were some tweets going around the nation about changing the Super Bowl title, the champ, the Lombardi Trophy to the Belichick Trophy. I mean, they're every year they're going to be in the Final Four, and most of the time they're going to be in the Super Bowl. Yeah, and i got to go through the, the numbers, but last night, in all seven Belichick-Brady Super Bowls, lots of stats to throw at you, that was the highest margin of victory one mm-hmm. way or the other, the six points. So that just goes to show you that every game's been tight. Even the ones that they've won on this stage have not been routes. They've been in battles all the way through. 5-2 and two record in the Super Bowl. We're going to get to that in a second, but I just want to cover the whole game first. As it went down, the Patriots winning this game, as we mentioned, 34-28. to 28. But it didn't start out anywhere near what the Patriots had in mind. If you could script the start to this football game for the Atlanta Falcons, Adam, I don't think you could do a better job than how it actually panned out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the pick six was huge. Uh, you know, special teams and defensive plays. It, it, the pick six kind of reminded me a little bit of the the Ty Law pick six in the the Patriots first Super Bowl. It kind of broke the game open. And yeah, it's funny. I saw a comment on Reddit about the the biggest margin of margin of difference in a game, and the fan goes, "Well, you know, we finally blew a team out in the Super Bowl." <laughs> yeah, well, it's true. I mean, the thing about this game that was so captivating was New England gets the ball first. New England gets the ball first. They get stuffed in a three on one. You think, okay, Atlanta's defense is here to play. They trade possessions, it's basically, it's no score, I believe, at the end of one. And then you have the pressure getting to Brady. Atlanta's defense in the first half was all over Brady in the pass rush. I mean, it was something that we hadn't seen before, other than maybe the Giants teams in the Super Bowl that could get to him. Atlanta's offense slowly started to get going. They were mixing the run with Freeman. Coleman had a couple plays. Atlanta strikes first. You mentioned that pick six. Those are usually game changers. Those are usually the parts in the game when you think, okay, this is a team getting control. And at that point in the game, the way their defense was playing, I know comebacks are possible and it is Tom Brady and we should never doubt him. 
But there was nothing in that game to that point to make you think that that, that this was possible. Yeah, and it was just so late in the game, you know, late in the third quarter is when the comeback starts. And I, at that point, I really counted out Brady, which I swear I should never do. Yeah. I, I hardly ever, I think those are two guys, Rodgers and Brady are two guys, you know, and I tell people this all the time, to really feel comfortable in a game against those two guys, you really have to have almost like a 28-4 score lead with maybe five five minutes left in the game. Yeah, and I do want to point out a couple things. One, it was a bad night for people that thought the money line Falcons were in play, or even the spread Falcons, and the over surprisingly hit. That might be the most miraculous thing, that the highest over-under in Super Bowl history hit. It needed, it needed overtime to do it, but it was not looking good for a while. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only thing going for that was just that the game did drag out. And, you know, it's funny, at, at some point you thought if, if the over was going to hit, it's because you thought maybe the final score was going to be, you know, another Broncos 49ers, Broncos Seahawks game. But the points just kept coming. <laughs> well, I look at the slow start to the Patriots first. I did think Atlanta was a little aggressive once they started getting into their, their offensive sets in the second quarter couple catches from Julio Jones. They were mixing it up. Gabriel Hooper had plays. Hooper the touchdown, obviously. But what I saw on the other side was a Patriots team that while they were the pressure was getting to Brady, he still made some throws that his receivers dropped in the first half. Blunt had the fumble. That was a, a big turning point there. And I noticed the team wasn't that crisp. Now, I don't know if it's nerves. I mean, obviously, they've been in this game a lot. Brady's the only one that's played in as much on that team. But I did notice that maybe it's the extra week, maybe it's the height of the game. But it wasn't that normal Patriots team, normal Patriots start that we're accustomed to seeing. It was the first time in a while that we saw them as just a normal franchise. Yeah, and I think, you know, I always thought at some point maybe the lack of a true running game or or depth on offense or, or the, the secondary would catch up to them. And, and Yeah, Blunt got like phased out. Sorry mm-hmm. to interrupt you, but that's probably it for his Patriots <laughs> career. And he fumbled, and Belichick just went completely away from him. I mean, they both, they barely ran this ball the entire game. Yeah, it's funny. You know, Brady had one rush for 15 yards, and the leading rusher had 31 yards. So he almost, he had half. If he had one more run like that, he almost would have been the team leader in the game. And that's kind of how it was. You know, I remember in, in 2014, I think Jonas Gray was their leading rusher and he had, in, in the regular season. And he had less than 500 yards rushing that season, which I think, you know, I was looking at some of the numbers, is the lowest other than maybe the 82 strike here that a Super Bowl champion, you know, their leading rusher. Obviously, the game has changed. You know, Brady threw the ball 62 times. James White, 14 catches out of the backfield. You can almost count those as runs. A lot of short passes that are pretty simple, thinking, you know, nickel and diamond down the field. And Jonas Gray, who forgets to set his alarm clock, and get, you never heard of him again. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if he's even alive <laughs> anymore. Like, where is he? But, no, it was, it was startling to see them. The pick six was just a combination of pressure and the great read. But it wasn't until, I mean, I didn't get the sense, Adam, until you get into the second half. Okay, 21-3. A big key moment in that game, in my opinion, was what I thought was going to be a key moment, was Atlanta not allowing a touchdown yeah, at the end of the first half. half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you go in at halftime 21-7, it's only a 14-point game. And you see those games a lot where uh, it's almost like a, a basketball game when it's the Cavs playing against you know a mid-tier team. And, and you know at some point the better team's going to go out and run, so you just got to keep stacking the points, stacking the points. And if you work as hard as you do in the first half and then you go in the locker room only up 14, then you're like, you know, I, I don't know all that we've done. Uh, I would also say the Patriots, even though they obviously have so much experience with Brady and Belichick, I, I, they do have, you know, the Chris Long was a story, Martellus Bennett winning one for those guys, guys that haven't been at the big stage. So 
I don't know how the Super Bowl affected them. Chris Hogan, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Even Amendola had one, but he was a guy that, it wasn't all star power. I see what you're saying. And Deion Lewis is another one. Mm-hmm. You know, white they drafted late. I mean, that was the stat that blew me away. As much as we want to dislike, discredit, and basically hate the Patriots and talk about how great Brady is, and he's great, but no team had more players undrafted play snaps in the NFL this year. Mm-hmm. They just figure out a way to get those guys. I mean, it's if it was that easy, everyone would do it. Yeah, I think uh, one of the analysts was talking, I think, before the game about how the Falcons completely changed their... Dimitrov basically completely changed what the Falcons were before Dan Quinn and after Dan Quinn and said, you know, we'll get you the players that work in your system. And I think that's what the Patriots do. They find guys that work. I think Bill Belichick has kind of a, a formula that can make it very simple for a lot of, you know, mediocre guys to thrive. And it would just be interesting if, you know, everyone was on a fair playing field, what some of the quote-unquote superstars on the Patriots would do for, you know, some of the lower teams in the NFL. It would be kind of tough. Yeah, and I think the, the funniest story I heard was Belichick trying to talk Dimitrov out of trading for Julio Jones, which I hate to keep bringing up because he should have been, should be a Cleveland Brown, but they needed playmakers at the time. They didn't really have any. Now look at that Falcons team, which is loaded with them, and I think, you did see a little bit of that. I, I think you saw a lot of, I'll call it Patriots light in Atlanta. Now, they didn't execute down the stretch, which we're going to address in, in full, but the way they built that team, I know there there's a lot of star powers on the front, but there are a lot of role guys on Atlanta that are unheralded, that have really outperformed where they were drafted and where they were picked up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's always a risk, obviously, to trade so much to move up. And generally, when you look at it, drafting best available traditionally works, but but yeah, the Falcons needed a superstar to go around. You know, they knew that they had something in Matt Ryan and ended up working. You know, it doesn't always work. You obviously have the examples of Ricky Williams and Herschel Walker and stuff when you, you know, really, and, and Robert Griffin, when you put so much on one player, it's not all about that. But, but you know, they have a lot of great young superstars on defense that are only in their first couple seasons. So I think it's just, I think, years and years of drafting well and, and you know, going through the process and doing pretty well. So Adam Musto, out of good old NFL Network on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, it's 21-3 to at halftime. Robert Alford with the pick six, 82 yards. Well, let's take a break here to just discuss the halftime show in full. I think we need to address that. And, I, and just in brief, I did see another number. We keep throwing around numbers on this show. For the fourth year in a row, it would appear the official data is going to come out this week, but that the actual halftime show outdrew the game for the length of time that that show was. No, but more people watched that than any one section of the game, including all the dramatic endings, which I got to say doesn't really surprise me. You know, I was at a Super Bowl party that featured a lot of women, <laughs> that featured a lot of people that aren't quote-unquote diehard football fans. And what I get the sense of is it's a lot of casual talk. It's all we're going to pay attention to the game if something big happens. But when the halftime show happens, that is full-on focused attention. And I got to feel that this country has been around the world is much of the same. Yeah, it's hard to find, you know, a non-polarizing musician that really appeals to the most amount of people. And I honestly feel, I know Coldplay got a lot of heat last year, but I think they are, you know, they're obviously not with the great bands of all time yet. I don't think he'd obviously don't put them with the Rolling Stones, the Beatles and stuff. But but if you think of, a, I always think if Some you think passion of... Coldplay take. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I kind of draw back to, you know, you're on a 10-hour road trip with your parents and, you know, your younger brothers, younger sisters, your parents, who are you going to put on? You know, you might not be able to put on your punk alternative rock. I feel like you want to gravitate to the bands that really reach the most amount of people. And, you know, like your lover, I think a lot of people know Lady Gaga. I think also a lot of people do respect her. Obviously, she's very eccentric with her 
wardrobes and and her style but and i'm a little bit we're both a little bit you know madonna i think her big splash was a little bit before our time but you're looking for people that really revolutionized music and i think music's a great thing a great side side from football and uh i think it's it, Nice. I'm not going to go in on Coldplay, uh, but I think last year's halftime, my issue with it was how it was shot. It was shot almost like a music video. Mm-hmm. And I never thought I'd say this. One of the big surprises of the day, Lady Gaga had a good show and it wasn't out of control. It was her. It was eccentric, but it wasn't totally reckless. It was just a standard good show. Didn't need any help. Did her thing. A lot of energy. That's all you need. <laughs> you don't need tons of guests and tons of props and I know she came in from the rafters. I mean, mm-hmm. they opened up the roof for her, but I, I, you know what? I was I was pleasantly surprised. I'm not the biggest Lady Gaga fan. There's a couple songs that I like, but it was good. It was a good show. Unbiasedly, if you're not even a fan of her music, I think you just appreciate the artistry. Yeah, it's a nice taste because you know a lot of people have either heard some of her. You know, majority of people probably heard some of her songs either on the radio or in the background on a YouTube video. But this kind of gives you a taste of what it would be like to see her live. You know, without having to spend 100 hundred, two hundred $200 to go see her sit in the 300 level of MetLife Stadium or yeah. you know, First Energy Field or something. And she's going to play Wrigley this summer. It I is, yeah. She just announced it today. So, yeah. <laughs> so there we go. The Chicago ties. All right. That's the halftime discussion. We'll get back to the action on the field. You thought the Patriots could come out and do something quick after they get that first stop, but they don't do anything with it. And then Atlanta just comes down, moves the ball, goes right down the field 28-3. to three. Now, there was a point in the game when you thought, okay, the Patriots might be coming back. They get that touchdown, 28-9. Goskowski, what is wrong with this guy? And we're getting to a point now where he might not be on the team next year. He's in Mike Nugent land in danger. <laughs> yeah, I know you, know, you talked about Blunt going out after the, the fumble. And, and you, obviously, Bill Belichick has a pretty short leash, leash with fringe players. Not necessarily that he's I think they have short player. leases on their apartments, too. Probably, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, I think kickers are very replaceable, and it's funny, you know, now Adam Benatieri has played more for the Colts than he has in his career with the Patriots. Wow. So, yeah, you know, obviously people will go back to the missed PAT against the Broncos last year. And, yeah, I think the turnovers, the field position, and special teams make a big play. You know, special teams can really break wide open Super Bowls. You have Jermaine Lewis, you know, didn't work with the Bears, but and Devin Hester, um you know, actually, looking back at it now, actually, it seems like a Dixon lot of... Dixon on the a, Giants. Yeah, a lot of losing teams have, have had kick returns for touchdowns a little different. Stanford Jennings for the the, the Bengals and uh, Fulton Walker for the, the Dolphins in 82. But, yeah, it, it, they finally got something going, and it, it, that did seem to hurt. But the crazy thing is there aren't a whole lot of teams in the NFL that can rely on making two two-point conversions late in the game. That's the staggering thing, and that's... When we break down this comeback, you'll start to see that they needed all these plays. And let's just get right into it. It's 28-9. to The Patriots are down against the eight ball. It's the fourth quarter. You know, they're down by three scores. And it's the Hightower play. That's the one I want to talk about first. Now, he makes an unbelievable play. The strip, Ryan is, you know, Ryan fumbles the football. Patriots recover. I'm not going to be too critical of Matt Ryan today. Whatever you think about the Falcons, know that his stats were pretty good across the board. It was 17-23, 284 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. He had a rating of 144. So it's hard to completely blame him for what happened. Highest quarter, you've heard it before. Highest quarterback rating in the, for a losing quarterback in the Super Bowl. It's crazy. It's so almost, almost perfect. Almost. almost. And this is the one area where I, where I will criticize him. Probably should have picked up the blitz here. This was all out blitz. This is an area where I don't think Brady, I don't think Manning, if he's still playing, and as much as I don't like him, I don't think Roethlisberger makes this mistake. Mm-hmm. 
they were not hiding that they were coming, and he didn't pick it up and paid the price for it. Yeah, I was looking at the play earlier today, and you see Devonta Freeman. He's kind of looking around inside, outside, inside, outside before the play, and, and he just kind of whiffs on Hightower. So, yeah, at least, you know, if nothing else, either some type of quick release, quick inside slant, or, or just top priority is just hold on to the ball. And that's, you know, when you, pl- when you play the Patriots, I think you might have a checklist. On a bad day for the Patriots, you might be able to have somewhere between three to five mistakes, and it's just you keep going down the list, the fumble, you know, not taking the sacks, the penalties late in the late in the last couple of drives, not, you know, being in field goal range. Yeah, and another thing to bring up, I think it's worth mentioning, how close these margins, these plays were. I mean, every play had to happen. You talk about the win probability being about 98 99% for the Falcons at certain points in this game. But the fumble is barely a fumble. He almost threw that ball. Mm-hmm. They, they really slowed it down to see it was the right call. Yeah, it's funny. After As soon as the play ended, you see some of the Falcons linemen. Hey, the ball's going. They're going remotely thinking, you know, it's an incomplete pass. Yeah. You know, it was close. And I think, too, you know, what happened there on after, you think the Patriots blew an opportunity when they don't do anything with it other than a field goal. But mm-hmm. it's a field goal from about the same distance. Gostkowski missed an extra point. And that wasn't a gimme either. That one just snuck in there, too. So yeah. you think if one of those two things don't happen, the wheels aren't in motion for this and probably will come back. It's crazy. You know, I was thinking about this as I was walking into work today, and I like analogies. This might be a little bit out there, but I was thinking of it's like Slumdog Millionaire. Everything has to line up perfectly for and whether you take expectancy. whether you take this yeah. game or whether you take you know the Patriots dynasty as a whole with the Tuck rule game against the the Raiders and John Casey kicking the ball out of bounds. It's all you know, and and it's crazy just how everything lines up. And I think good teams and especially good coaches. I think we <laughs> see that with Bill Belichick. I think. Bill Belichick will, is the reason that the Patriots, they win so many games where you look at these games and it's like you change maybe one, two, three, or four plays and the game's completely the other way. You know, you mentioned John Casey kicking the ball out of bounds. I was really hoping Gaskowski would return the favor mm-hmm. when the game was tied, but yeah. that's another story. Well, we talked about that Falcons-Bears <laughs> game in 08. It was a little similar to that. Very, very similar. And I like the analogy. I like maybe... I would say Ocean's Eleven to perform mm-hmm. the perfect heist. You need everything to happen. If mm-hmm. one detail goes wrong, it's a bust. But you brought up Belichick, and I think that's interesting because I have family members that are very devote to the game of football. That coached it, played it at a high level. Again, not liking the Patriots, just respecting Belichick and just his master mastery of what that job entails. Whether that's playing field position. How about earlier in the game? I think it was around this time. They went for it on on their own mm-hmm. on their own side of the field, and we previewed the show last week. And I brought up the question of, "You think we'll t- see a team go for it on either side of the 50? We did, and it wasn't full on desperation mode, but it was close. But you got the sense the Patriots knew points, time, everything was at a premium. They had to get going. I don't know many coaches that would have made that call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, plus they had the onside kick relatively early in, in the second half. Yeah, it's just. It's so hard to get a leg up on him, and I think especially in the Super Bowl with the two weeks of preparation, you know, you could talk about rest or rust for the player side, but I think to give that game plan, and you've seen it throughout his entire career. I mean, people still talk about when he was defensive coordinator on the Giants, uh, Super Bowl 25 against the Bills. I mean, the, the Bills, I mean, the Giants were pretty universally considered a pretty big underdog in what they were able to do in that game, and it's just, it's, you know, the same thing now. Absolutely. As I still chat here with Adam Musto. NFL Network. On the Money Mitch Effect, we're getting into Super Bowl 51, Patriots triumph for the ages. So where we left off, it's 28-12 to 12 now. And like you said, no matter who you are, no matter what your situation is, there's a feeling that goes through every football fan's mind. They still have Tom Brady, or they still have Aaron Rodgers. One of those two guys is probably it right now. But something changed in that game offensively. And I think the biggest thing was 
they started protecting him more. He wasn't getting hit as much mm-hmm. in the later stages of that game. And the receivers started to make plays. I got to tip my cap to Malcolm Mitchell, who's not going to get a ton of press for the game that he had, constantly getting open. Chris Hogan made a few catches. Edelman had one of the games of the last year and a half. A lot of people thought he was slowing down. And Amendola getting into it. This is before we even get to the running back. So if we talk just receivers, I mean, even Bennett in there. Mm-hmm. He was spreading it out. They had no answer for the cooperative attack. I'll, I'll put a phrase on it. And suddenly he started to just pick his spots and move down the field at will. And he did it with just enough time. You know, if they were down one more score, if they had a minute less to go, uh, it, it wouldn't I mean, have These were tough out. throws. Yeah, and it's obviously all without Rob Gronkowski since week 13 or so. So, you know, it's just it's simple. It's pretty efficient, just a lot of short passes. Or Edelman is great at just the route running and, and getting that tiny bit of separation and making catches. And, and I think they, they have such a good, you know, they work well together just knowing where they're going to be. I also need to bring up a fact that it caught me by surprise, too, the way Joe Buck said it when he was surprised, which I thought Fox did a great job with the production value, some of the replays they showed on point, some of you know, the angles, and even the commentary with Buck and Aikman. But when he said, wow, Brady's like up to 400 yards now, it was kind of like a, whoa, yeah, he really has thrown this much? Mm-hmm. Like he, didn't, he wasn't playing that great early. But yet, you didn't realize how many yards he was racking up in that second yeah, half. Yeah, it's you know because it was obviously like you said scoreless after the first quarter, and not a whole lot of huge. You know, you you would expect for that to see that type of number, you'd have an eighty-yard touchdown or something something crazy. But yeah, you know, James White had fourteen catches for over hundred yards, so it was almost like a little bit bend not break on the Falcons' defense, and and obviously the the, the turnovers in the first half were big when the Patriots were driving, but. Yeah, you know, when you look back at the whole thing, it's definitely one of the, the biggest games in rule history from so that standpoint. So the Patriots get the touchdown to make it 28-18. to 18. You mentioned how they needed two two-point conversions. It was about, about five, six minutes left in the game at that time. You knew that they had to pretty much go for it. And this is my little aside. So my younger brother played football at John Carroll at Division Three school where Josh McDaniels went. And a couple other guys that are involved in this game, actually. McDaniels called a play, as it happened, the direct snap to White, and my brother leaps up and says, oh, we had that in our playbook, too. Which, you know, it's a funny aside, but it, it speaks to the fact that I think McDaniels always kept, I mean, unbelievable game plan by him, always kept the Falcons guessing they didn't know what the next move was going to be. But, you know, that's a pretty basic for NFL standards play. Mm-hmm. Just snap it to the running back and run right ahead. And I think at that time, you could say it's a little ballsy, but you know what? They were unafraid. You could tell they practiced these plays tons of time, and everything was done with confidence. It's the most over-used you know, used word in sports just about, but the Patriots were so confident that two two-point conversions, no problem. Yeah, and, and that's a play. I feel like that used to be more of a staple with the Patriots up until maybe 2007, 2008. I feel like I saw that a lot with Brady, you know, pretends the ball goes over his head. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's obviously a do or die play. It's, you have two yards and, and it seems part of it is, hey, it's simple. It's only two yards, but it's really a 50-50 chance. And, and the stakes are just so high. Obviously it's not, you're not able to game plan, you know, a four play drive or something. And they're just, re- I think the situational, situational football is something you always go back to of just being ready for everything. You know, you saw it with, going back to Jeff Fisher and the Music City Miracle and, and the safeties that Bill Belichick took late in games, just always being a step ahead and having those tiny advantages. You know, and I do want to mention White and Lewis, White in particular, obviously, but last week in, in our preview, I theorized that 
the Patriots are at their best when the running backs out of the backfield are burning you too because you feel like you can always count on some receivers to get open across the middle and Brady to spread it out. But when the running backs are abusing the linebackers, which they started to do in the second half, I mean, 14 catches for James White out of the backfield. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a monster all over the field. He could have been MVP of this game. It wouldn't have been outrageous. Obviously, I agree with Brady being MVP for what he did and how he orchestrated it. He had three touchdowns. But yeah, White had three touchdowns. It wouldn't have been surprising, and that's another another athlete. I think that's the best way to describe him. They knew they were drafting something. They didn't know what it is. They had to mold it into the system, but here we are. Another guy that had to wait his turn was inactive a lot. Unbelievable performance by probably the best running back of all time out of Wisconsin in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Ron Dane would get in that discussion in the Mel NFL. Melvin Gordon has time. <laughs> that's true, yeah. yeah Money but- ball, yeah. we got to... <laughs> We gotta cause uh, the the cell where he's staying, but no. Yeah, right. no. It's um, yeah. It's just such a big advantage, you know, creating second and five, second and sevens, even you know, making third down. It's so hard to get Brady off the field. So if you simplify things for him and, and make the third down so much more manageable, and it's it's almost unstoppable. That's what we really saw. You know, I know we'll talk about, it, but the overtime drive was just bang, bang, bang. It was one of the best drives I've ever seen. But to get to that point, to get to overtime, they had to stop. Atlanta, get the ball back, score a touchdown, and a two-point conversion. So Atlanta wasn't sure if they were going to do the onside kick. Very underrated part in this game. Gaskowski's kick deep. Mm-hmm. That was a nice kick, a nice almond surprise. And then, I mean, Weeks just runs right, <laughs> just runs it out inexplicably. Yeah. Okay, so they're going to start deep. And he, he did that a couple of times. He did that on the last drive, too. So they're starting against their own territory. Atlanta, you're not sure. They didn't. Like to run the ball, which I want to touch on in a sec, but they start moving it downfield. Julio Jones with one of the nicest catches I've seen and all season. Devonta Freeman had the huge catch and run. The Freeman catch run, which could have gone for more of a Patriot player, ran him down where they mm-hmm. just forgot to cover him out of the backfield. That got them out of harm's way up at midfield, and you start to think, okay, if the Falcons get in field goal range, they can ice this game right now. Julio Jones on a third down play making a spectacular catch, dropping the foot in, total NFL skill and precision there. I know the Falcons have an identity, Adam. I know they like to pass the ball. But they had the ball at the 22-yard line with four minutes left. Freeman gets stuffed on a one-yard run. And they just abandoned the run. They just mm-hmm. stopped doing it. They wanted to pass. Ryan takes a sack, penalty, and they're punting it away. I, I, I don't know how you would explain it, but I'm kind of at a loss for words there. Yeah, like crazy. I, I saw a stat today. They only ran the ball five times after they were up twenty-eight to three. I mean that that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and but starting that drive, you know, inside their ten, wherever they were, that takes a lot of guts. And my, I'm always, I'm curious to know at what point, you know, you have the Super Bowls are usually, you know, a better team traditionally wins, and that's why you don't see as, as many comebacks because it's kind of like a team's crowning achievement. So you have this Falcons team that maybe they're thinking, holy crap, we're going to win the Super Bowl. And then I wonder how much of that Patriots aura starts to creep in. And then you start to get a little nervous, almost like in tennis. I've lost, when I was in high school, I lost so many matches. I was up 40 love. <laughs> and you just can't close it out. Yeah. And you're, you're th- and, but it's just, with a 16-point lead, you're thinking in your head, the Patriots literally have to do everything. They need two touchdowns and they need two two-point conversions. And, you know, the Freeman play and, and the uh, Julio play, it, it's working. Maybe, yeah, unless they just think, hey, it's working, we're going to keep going. But... Or I don't know how much confidence they had in their kicker. I think Bryant, you know, would have... That's the thing. It's like, if you have confidence in your kicker, ball on the 23 after Freeman gets stuffed for a loss, you could run him two more times in the middle of the pile. I think the NFL, if it's inside of 45, you expect your guy to make it. You're mm-hmm. indoors. I, I think he's, and Bryant's made a lot of big kicks in his time. Mm-hmm. I don't think he'd be phased by that moment. 
I just I, I don't understand why. And the Broncos proved it last year. They had no qualms winning ugly uh-huh. football. They would yeah. run the clock out, and oh, yeah. Atlanta just didn't want to do that. Yeah, yeah, and you know, unless I know a couple of us in the office yesterday were saying just the risk of if you do miss a field goal, you set up Brady with you know half a field to go. So, but at that point, you're not stopping. You're not stopping him. So at that point, half a field, full field, you went 91 yards. I'd say do the surest thing to take the points. But I see what you're saying. I mean, it's not easy. I don't think it was completely mangled, but abandoning the run as a whole. I mean, it, it, it's the crowning achievement of that was that last drive, but mm-hmm. it had been building. You have a lead, run the ball, take some time off. They didn't do that. Yeah, I, you know, maybe everything kind of always catches up to you. I know uh, Damashek talks a lot about the football gods and old school running the ball, playing good defense. Maybe that's just the way you're supposed to win and close out championships. I mean, obviously the, the Patriots haven't had much of a running game, but yeah, you would think, and it's crazy because if you rewatch the game, you know, it's on all the time now on NFL Network and you're watching the game and you see the score with three minutes, four minutes left, and you're still thinking in your head, like, how did this happen? It's, it's like, unbelievable. It's, and it's a tough loss. It's definitely, I think it's a tough, it's going to be really hard if you're a Falcon fan, as it was for, if you're a Seahawk fan a couple of years ago, these Super Bowls, you never really get over it. So Kyle Shanahan, I don't want to say he had a foot out the door. I'll just say it might be tough to balance two jobs when you know one's about to come. Your phone might be ringing a little more than you're used to. It's just it's just a little uncomfortable at times. You're getting asked questions about it. Mm-hmm. I think he made a mistake that he's going to have to live with for the rest of his life. And Quinn, I wondered, would the moment get to him? I know he's been in a couple Super Bowls recently, but head coach going up against the master, probably the best coach ever. I think he kind of let the moment consume him a little bit. But they still gave the ball back. And the penalties, too. A couple penalties that just halted mm-hmm. drives. Wasting away a great game by Matt Ryan. Julio Jones, only four targets, but you know the defense was kind of designed to take him away. I think if you're going to throw all the time, you might want to look at him. But again, we still get back to the fact that the Patriots had to go 91 yards down the field and get a two-point conversion, and they did it. Mm-hmm. And they did it without facing a whole lot of adversity, save for one of the most ridiculous catches I've ever seen, Julian Edelman. Body parts going everywhere. A great call on the field, by the way, by the, uh, the yeah. officials who nailed it. Yeah, it's one thing you don't you don't believe, but yeah, I mean, it's it, it'd be different if it was, that was on fourth down or even third down or something or super long to go. So yeah, he makes a play and and everything works out. You know, Quinn. You remember last year the Falcons were five and zero and they they missed the playoffs. It's weird. It's it's just a, a weird thing that some you're just waiting for that collapse. Yeah, you know, it's a little bit of analogy. So I, I don't know if there's <laughs> anything more to that or if it's just kind of the way. It happened. I don't know. Even when they score, they go all the way down the field. Brady makes throw after throw. They score. They get the two-point conversion on the rub route to Amendola, who mm-hmm. just crosses the plane, which you can see kind of from a mile away. That's what they do. They want to spread it out. They want to get separation. It's a play they've done before, and they know it works. When overtime started, which before, actually before we get to that, the decision to challenge on Edelman's catch took away a timeout that they might have been able to use if they wanted to try to get something on that last drive. They looked a lot of whack. They run the kickoff again out of the end zone. Yeah. That's 10 yards there and the timeout. That took any chance of them tying the, or going for the field goal to win out of it, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, you almost have to challenge the play just because it's so... Un- I think it's one of those plays that whatever the call was on the field that you're going to stay with, I don't think it's when you overturn it so close. I, I, I mean, hear, yeah, I hear you, but you have people in boots that just specialize in this. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of time before that next play, before the challenge took place. Yeah, 
I think it was a little rushed. And, yeah. and I don't know what the Falcons' offense would have been able to do, especially giving them a 10-yard you know, penalty just mm-hmm. about with where they started. But it would have been nice to see. But all right, Adam Musto, Money Mitch Effect. Overtime, Pats come out. They win the toss. I pretty much felt like they weren't going to give Atlanta the ball back. I think that was the general consensus all around the country. I was a little bit surprised that they did score a touchdown. I mean, I guess looking back at it now, maybe I shouldn't have been. It was effortless. Um, yeah, it, it really. It, and I think once, yeah, once the Patriots got rolling, and you see that a lot in in a lot of games. It's usually the team with the momentum at the end of regulation ends up winning in overtime. And I, I I'm sure at that point the Super Bowl or the playoff experience has to factor in because the Super Bowl is such such a pressure cooker. You know, you have stories of guys hyperventilating on the field in years past. Throwing and, up. Yeah. and <laughs> But enough about Donovan McNabb. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, even, you know, the, there was a story that, that happened in Montana in, against the Bengals, and this is, you know, arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Well, not, he's definitely one of. Yeah. Um, so I think at that point, the, the nerves and, and what's going on, you know, once – it started to go downhill. I don't know how you really fix it. And and I guess, yeah, as I was watching that overtime drive, I, I think just as the pay, you know, the, the plays were just so short, you think, well, eventually they're going to have to hold them and, you know, force a field goal. I, I just wasn't sure if the Falcons would be able to go down and score a field goal, you know, at will, basically. And then, then once they get down, you know, inside the red zone, you're like, oh, this is probably the way it's going to end. You know, James White's touchdown, the run to win it, was a second effort. If it's on the inch line and it's third down, does that change the outcome of the game? Probably not, but it adds for some more drama. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny because Brady is, you know, he, he is incredible at those goal, those one-yard plays. Yeah, know, I thought he was going to sneak it in. But, you know, that is a little bit risky, too, because he's always exposing the ball, you know, in a game like that. Maybe you slap the ball away. But, you know, Vic Beasley had a chance of picking yeah. it off in the end zone. So there's a million different, obviously, you don't have to go back other than Malcolm Butler's pick in a couple years ago. Right. I thought they were going to run up. The last play at the game was a F.U. Roger on two ready break <laughs> type of play. But no, in all seriousness, it was a drive for the ages, throw after throw. I do want to talk about the Falcons before we get into the Patriots side of this outcome. There are tons of narratives out there, a lot are valid, that the Falcons choked this game away. But I want to be clear on one thing. I put a lot of effort, maybe equal, equal reasoning on the defensive side of the ball. You have Shanahan not running the ball, Dan Quinn, that offense not running. I get that. But all they needed was one play on, like, the final three drives of the game, Mm -hmm. and they couldn't get it. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it from that perspective, the offense didn't have a bad day, made some very, very questionable decision-making. But I'm looking at the defense. Just one stop, one pick, one sack, one play at a key moment, and they couldn't get it. And that's where I think the outcome came. I think that's... Give all the credit in the world to the Patriots for coming back. I don't think any other team could have done this, but I still look at that Falcon defense for the reason for the mega collapse slash choke. And that was one of the big storylines coming into the game. Some people did say that the Falcons defense was a little bit of a liability. I think it surprised a lot of us watching how well they played in the Alford pick six right. and, and what they did to Brady. So, yeah, I don't know if they changed their their play style and maybe going into more of a prevent defense but yeah it's just they just weren't the, the Patriots were just quick and and getting things at will and there weren't any of those big momentum changing plays that they needed no there weren't and Brady 466 yards another great day another Super Bowl his fifth Belichick's fifth there really isn't much more these guys can do I don't want to get into a rant about the pecking order of who the greatest quarterbacks are because eras change 
you're not hit as much nowadays as a quarterback. You can play longer. Montana wasn't afforded that luxury. Yeah, I mean, he's getting the tar beaten out of him. Right. Yeah, his back I think was really more the reason that he had to hang it up or at least leave the 49ers and go to San. Uh, and his elbow. But mm-hmm. Brady is he, he belongs in, at the top of any discussion for greats to play the game. Yeah, I mean, it's... What more can he do? Like, what, what else is there? They're there every year. It's, I, you know, it's. I would like to take a random poll of Patriots fans. It's like, I feel like their season really maybe started at the AFC Championship game. It sure didn't start with the Texans game, I don't think, in the playoffs. But that's kind of the expectation <laughs> the excuse to, be, to bash Brock Osweiler <laughs> is approved on this show. But it's so true. And that debate is going to rage on Belichick or Brady, who matters more. But the fact is, they found each other. It's worked out well. I don't think they care. I, I think they need each other. But from that perspective of what the Patriots have been able to do, it's a team effort. Mm-hmm. And as great as Brady was, he needed his other guys to step up in that comeback. Belichick needed to make some good decisions. He did. And the team, offense and defense, needed to respond. It was a great team effort orchestrated by those two generals. Yeah, it really takes two, and you know maybe this is just me being a, a salty Bears fan, but I think, I think without Roger Aaron Rodgers, the Packers might be a two and fourteen team. I, I think that Mike McCarthy isn't nearly the the coach that you know the Belichicks are in that class, obviously, and and that's I think what separates the championships. And, and you know Bill Walsh and Joe Montana were the same. I mean, Joe Montana was also a late draft pick, but you had Bill Walsh who he was offensive coordinator for the Bengals before, and he turned a guy named Virgil Carter who. Had like a ter- he completed like 40-50% of his passes, and then you get into the Bill Wall system, he's complete, he's leading the NFL uh-huh. with a 70% completion in the season. So the system works, and, and then they build around those two guys. And if you have a coach and a quarterback, those are the, obviously the number one and number two parts that you need. I think you can build around. I think you don't really notice, I don't want to say that his regular season stats aren't as impressive, but Garoppolo could have gotten them to the second round of the playoffs. I don't think you really see Brady's value until these big money games. Because mm-hmm. up with Montana, they're probably the two best ever in terms of clutch performers at the quarterback position. Yeah, and it's funny because, yeah, you look at the stats, but that's what it is. You know, Montana never threw an interception in the Super Bowl. And I think his uh, Super Bowl quarterback rating was north of 120. And <laughs> I think it's, yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. And that was, that was kind of the knock on Matt Ryan that, you know, he'd been a solid quarterback, but... Yet before the season, he hadn't hadn't done it a whole lot in the playoffs, and and I think in all sports, that's what you that's what separates the Michael Jordans from the uh, you know Charles Barkleys and, and and the Patrick Ewings and stuff. It, it takes I think to get to that upper le- echelon when you start talking about legacy and everything. Um, it takes a lot of guts, and you know you saw it with Aaron Rodgers in the the Cowboys game when you absolutely needed and your season's on the line. You know it's completely different than throwing for three hundred yards against the uh, you know the Forty ers in Week Fourteen. You think this Falcons team is going to come back? I mean, I know there's a Super Bowl hangover theory, but I actually do like this nucleus. I think if there's one team that could buck the trend, it's these guys. Yeah, you know, I feel like we say that every year, and uh, you, you really <laughs> never true. know. Yeah, I I, no, I mean, <laughs> that's a throw salt on. Yeah. on it, I, I think that, they, yeah, I think they're set up. I, I think they're young. Their defense is uh, is solid. Need some um, bodies, for sure. Yeah, but, it's just, you know, the NFL is a funny thing. It, it's tough. You know, and especially I think the AFC or the NFC South is, you know, Tampa Bay is pretty interesting. Obviously, the Saints are still there with Sean Payton and Drew Brees. Obviously, they're on you know the twilight of their careers. But and I have no idea what Carolina is going to do if they'll be back to what they were two years ago or, or not. So you would think that they would be in the hunt, but it's hard to tell. You know, injuries pop up, things happen. 
And I think the way they lost the Super Bowl, it, it will be very difficult to get over. And it almost might be a little bit of shell shock. You know, you're in a game and you're up and then you just, things start happening. You're like, oh, no, it's happening again. That might That's probably not very easy to wash away. And they don't have the championship pedigree that the Seahawks have. Mm-hmm. We're able to overcome that adversity and get back to being yeah. a very good I, football Oh, yeah, team. I think Russell Wilson's one of those guys, too. I think you could put him in that talk with Brady and, and Rodgers when you need, you know, you're, nothing phases him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you could be down a lot late in the game, but you're going to have a chance. Well, I do have something quick to say. I thought the Brady, Goodell, <laughs> Kraft, Belichick thing, I thought it was handled about as well as it could be. And from the Patriots side, they handled it with class. I think they realized that, I know Brady filmed his little uh, commercial where he says Roger that with mm-hmm. his five rings before. But obviously he's going through some things in his personal life with his mom being a little sick, and, and I don't think he wants to draw on negative experiences by would you when most of your life is so good. There was no need for him to gloat or, or act vindictive. Same with Kraft and Belichick. Goodell, as much maligned as he is and as much as he's botched some certain things, I kind of was impressed by the way he handled his business. He took what was coming to him. Mm-hmm. You know, he took his medicine, so to speak. I thought he knew he was going to get booed. He took it. He stood up there. He faced the music. I mean, it was the, it was the only thing that was going to happen when the Patriots won that game. Yeah, and he takes a lot of heat. I mean, he's kind of the face of everything. The owners definitely, you know, put him out uh, as kind of a shield for all the negativity. And, and yeah, you, you know, you're never going to please everybody. The NFL is obviously taking a lot of heat with the rule changes and and, and safety and, and stuff. So there's definitely, you know, there's the old guard of, you know, saying, hey, football has to be tough the way it was years ago. And then, but, you know, looking for the future. So it's definitely a difficult position to be in. I think the fans, I'm sure, don't like it. You know, Patriots fans. Yeah. But do they have a whole lot to complain about? I mean, they have five rings. Exactly. Um, I think the Patriots are just obviously a polarizing team. You have your fans in Boston that love them, New, New England area. That's it, polarizing. And I think everything else. Yeah, you know, everything. I, I was, one thing I was thinking about before this game, I was trying to think of Super Bowls. I would imagine the majority of fans in America were rooting for the Falcons for that reason. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to think of other Super Bowls where you had such a majority of people for one team. You know, one I thought of was just John Elway against the Packers. I feel like everyone wanted John Elway to get that ring. Yeah. Um, probably, honestly, maybe ironically enough, to start the dynasty, the Patriots against the Rams, you know, coming up in 9-11, yeah. everyone's rooting for Hey, Patriots, you know, red, white, and blue, though. Yeah, could have been. I just think, too, I'm not going to defend everything Goodell's done. He's made his mistakes, but the name of the game is to make the owners money. He is doing that very well right now. Mm-hmm. A lot of people would get booed for the salary that he's making, too. So just <laughs> another thing. It's not all bad for him to take being booed on that stage. He's doing very well, and he's making the owners a lot of money. So exactly. I think that's part of it. All right, Adam Musto from NFL Network here on the Money Mitch Effect. Couple things before I let you go. There's one thing though. I, I did see something that I think we have to address right now, and uh, well, I'm just gonna let the uh, I'm just gonna let the video play, and then we can kind of comment on it. Welcome to NFL Honors. There sure are a lot of stars here. Where were you guys in the football? You all are opted out of the game. All right, all right, we'll stop it here and we'll keep it going. This is one more joke. So, was that your audition tape for NFL Honors hosting? That was, uh, yeah, I guess you could say that. I, you know, I. I for some reason, I think I have this weird fantasy in the back of my head that I'm an aspiring stand-up comedian. Uh, I, I think that there's parts... I can write jokes, I think, that are pretty funny. So I was watching the, the honors. I'm like, hey, here's a couple of things that you know I think would work well. I'd like to test it out on my fellow coworkers. Probably need a little tune-up. On so I think the approach is a little interesting. Uh, I do have a lot of questions. We'll try to get to them. <laughs> a lot of questions. 
So is the notepad part of the stick? Are you going to have a notepad if you host? No, I don't no, think so. Okay. I think I'd have to That's memorize the lines. Number one, I think you kind of stared down the joke a little bit, like you nailed the punchline and just stared at the audience <laughs> trying to get a reaction. No, I thought that was a good lead-in. I think it's uh, it's very it's a very valid complaint. Now, I, I do wonder, was this something that you just brought on your coworkers? Because I know it's a lot of phones, not just the one being used to record this one. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's, I think that's just where we are in society, right? Everything you do has to be videotaped. Yeah, you know, I was just watching the honors the day before and, and thought of some things, and then for some reason before, you know, 20 minutes before the kickoff, I was like, hey, I had this idea, I want to see if it works well. And then they said, all right, let's take a pause, let's get our recording devices out, and then we'll go. <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's see uh, the second joke, if it, if it matches up. Sure, it's hard to write jokes for this thing. The is more strict about what they'll let me cover than with the touchdown celebration. <laughs> I would get fired after this. Okay, yeah. <laughs> All right, so yeah, that's that's not a bad one either. I think it's it's a good start. I think you really need to to zone in on some specific topics. Yeah. But well, the touchdown celebration I keep thinking back was early, was it a Browns guy? He caught the ball, and then as soon as he caught it, he kind of got into like a robot formation and just like walked directly back to the huddle, saying, "Hey, you know, there's very limited to, to what I can do." I don't know. I. I <laughs> I, yeah, I just know I think you're I, like you know, the catch reference away from the hat trick of yeah, what's wrong I, I with think, the rules you know, in the, the NFL. The guys that host NFL honors are kind of in a in a tough position because I'm sure there's big limits to what you can talk about, and, and it's hard to, to be a comedian and you know have a clamp uh, put on material because that's kind of what comedy comedy is. It's parody and you know making fun of people in authority and stuff. You know, I didn't get to watch it. I'm a decent fan of Keegan Michael K. I'm not the biggest fan, but. You know, I think it's a good idea to have an award show, but you are kind of limited. You don't want to just upset everybody. Mm -hmm. If it was a Jeffrey Ross roast (laughs) situation, I don't think everyone would be able to handle it. But, yeah, I mean, you are kind of limited. The Academy Awards, you can make, you can go off on way more, way more types of tangents and jokes. Well, didn't Ricky Gervais, he took a lot of heat, I think, for uh, roasting a lot of people at the Golden Globes. He did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, honors, and we were talking earlier about this Rubel halftime show. I think it's, you know, the NFL definitely wants to, find, you know, I feel like 50% of America watched the Super Bowl yesterday. That means that there's another 50% that didn't. So how do you appeal to those fans and, um, you know, whether it's getting more, you know, women interested, I think some type of Bachelor-esque or just, you know, adding pop culture, comedians, music stars, that that I think will entice people because the X's and O's have, I think, a limited interest level. Right. Well, I think uh, there's some promise there. I wouldn't quit your day job, obviously. Uh, the the delivery itself might need some tuning up, the onstage presence, For that sure. whole thing. But yeah. it was a solid start. To... I'll have to talk to Chris Miller and maybe get some uh, appearances. <laughs> right, Chris uh, Miller. Yeah, you could be at the improv, you yeah. know, open up and for him there. All right, before I let you go, Adam Musto on the Money Mitch Effect. I was told by a few people, I'll throw Tom Weisenbach's name <laughs> out there, that you have a couple of passionate takes about the Hall of Fame. Now, we won't get into a lot of them, but there's two guys in particular I was told to ask you about. That's T.O. and Kurt Warner. Mm. T.O. not in the Hall of Fame, didn't even make the final 10. Kurt Warner is in it. So what do you think about those two guys? Well, Terrell Owens, and I thought this would be more of a popular opinion, but I guess it's not, so therefore it makes it a hot take. I really don't think Terrell Owens is a Hall of Famer. I think he has the numbers, I guess, but he played for so long, and... I think to be such a cancer to so many teams, you have to take that into account. I mean, stats are one thing, but you have guys that are in the Hall of Fame that don't have great stats when you look at Lynn Swan and stuff. But they help the team win, and I think the way that he left San Francisco, the way he left 
the Eagles and the way he left, you know, the Bengals, and he was kind of, I think, somewhat irrelevant in his career with the Bengals or the Bengals and the Bills, and the way he left the Cowboys. I think you have to take that in consideration. And I think to be a Hall of Famer, it's not just the numbers, but it's do you contribute to your team in a way that you know progresses them forward? And you know, someone brought up the argument: well, Jerry Rice has all the numbers, and and maybe how big of a component do you play for your team? You know, saying, well, Jerry Rice played with Steve Young and Joe Montana and stuff. But I just think he was such a bad person in the locker room. that, And it's not just the, you know, some people say, well, it's because he didn't like the media. And, and But I think it was just, the, it wasn't just the media. It was the teammates and, and the, the culture in the locker room. And I guess a lot of people point to his Super Bowl 39 performance as very courageous. But the Eagles were a good team before that. I mean, they, they were almost perennially in the NFC Championship they were. game. The 49ers were... Obviously, Steve Young was at the end of his career, but when he started, it was Young and, and Owens, and, and Jeff Garcia wasn't too shabby either. So that's my take on it. Yeah, that, well, I'll, I'll jump in here. I think the Hall of Fame vote in most sports is flawed. I, I think the process could use some work. I don't. I didn't like in the past how they would just have a logjam of positional players. Mm-hmm. This year, they kind of bucked that trend, two running backs getting in at the same time. Um, but I hear what you're saying. I do think that's a component. Tio, it's funny. Tio's the one guy that, with those stats and numbers, not to get in. There's a lot of people that say good or that chuckle, that laugh at that, that mm-hmm. you know, think it's justice. I'm sure he's got a lot of haters. He, yeah, I'm sure. Well, here's the thing. I thought as a player, he was as complete of a receiver as I saw. I didn't see Rice in his heyday. But this was the guy that would go across the middle, had issues with drops, but would go deep, go across the middle, could do it all. The numbers are just so good to the point where if we don't have him in the Hall of Fame, I think that's where I struggle with it. I think he is a Hall of Famer, clear Hall of Famer in my mind, because the numbers are so good that it's almost not a tiebreaker. Like if he was a borderline Hall of Famer in terms of his production and had this rep, I would be 100% in your camp that he just does not belong in the Hall of Fame. But, I mean, it's hard to deny he was a beast on the field. And the last I checked, winning is not a component of being in there. Yeah, and, you know, I guess the one I was kind of comparing him to earlier today, I was thinking about it, was maybe Chris Carter. You know, he had the falling out in Philadelphia and really resurrected his career. But that was only, that was one case. You know, Philadelphia was bad, but everything changed from him. But I just feel like everywhere T.O. went, it was the same story. And then you keep thinking, oh, well, T.O. has changed. And now, and, but every time, he, you know, he goes to a team and then the next year or the next time, you know, there's fewer and fewer teams bidding for his services. Right. And I just think that has to be part of it. I think there's a breed, and, and maybe that's, that's one thing I'm a little bit worried about the Hall of Fame is that it becomes almost like a popularity contest or who is who is well-known in the media. And you can almost make your case based on being in the media, being you know making appearances, just being in the, the spotlight for people to, they can't really think of someone, but they're like, oh, I know him because I just, you know, I, they're always, people are always talking about making his case. And that's almost, I think, what it's going to become is people, there's so many conflicts now, I think, with, you know, <laughs> people sharing agents and stuff. And I think now everyone has to have an agenda. Everyone kind of has an agenda. Hey, you know, this guy, yeah. we're, we work for the same management, so I'm going to give him good press and stuff. And I think you just kind of have to be careful with that and really look at it from a pure football aspect. And I think there's a class of being in the Hall of Fame that, you know, obviously you don't. it's not a prerequisite that you have to have a Super Bowl ring. Obviously. Right. And Moss, but, I mean, he's next year. Mm-hmm. Say so, hey, he had a lot of similar issues as T.O. Both yeah, on the box they're, they're together. Pretty, they're pretty comparable, I would say that too. <laughs> you know, the funny thing... I have a hard time believing that Moss is not going to get an over Yeah, I mean, the only thing that I would put against him is I completely forgot that he was in the NFL when he played for the Raiders. You know, no <laughs> pun intended, but that was kind of a black hole in his career. Maybe that happens a lot when you play for the Raiders. That's another joke at honors. 
No, I but, see what you're saying. No. But yeah, I, I, that's I guess what I, I think about is you know you have to be consistent for a long period of time, but sometimes you have these guys that you just kind of forget about them for a period of their their career. And then Kurt Warner is that another? I, I think he was similar too because obviously it's a great story, but I think people forget. And I actually thought he played longer for the Giants. I guess he only played for the Giants for one year. But there was that middle part of his career where he had the fumble problems. I think he had a big nagging thumb injury, and he was just fumbling all the time. He was benched for Eli Manning. So you have this middle chunk of your career. It's capped off with you know your first year as a big guy. You become the MVP, Super Bowl MVP. Actually, the last league MVP to win through, to win the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, and then obviously people remember the end of his career going to the Super Bowl with the Cardinals and reaching two Super Bowls with the Rams. But that middle part of his career, I feel like he was just kind of a middle of the pack guy. He wasn't a starter. I think. I believe at one point he was probably Matt Leiner started in front of him. He so did. Obviously, he has a lot going against him getting in the NFL as late as he did um, and some injuries late that maybe didn't allow him to play a little bit longer. You know, the accuracy, the RT through, his QBR, where it ranks historically, and not having that T.O. problem mm-hmm. where he was not, he was the farthest thing from a kid oh, yeah, in any locker room. Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. we, we, I've had the privilege of met him, one of the nicest guys, just a very mm-hmm. personal, nice guy. But I don't have a problem with him or Terrell Davis getting in because they dominated the game. It might not have been as sustained, but you look at a Gale Sayers, you look at some names there. Mm -hmm. What Warner did, especially that last act in Arizona, was just remarkable. I'd see, and this is why I thought it was fair for him to wait a couple years to get in. He was not a first ballot Hall of Famer. There were some bigger names in front of him. You know, you have to wait your turn for Mm -hmm. the Favs and and those guys there. But I think he belonged, and, and... Again, I don't have any qualms with the guys that get in because if you're a finalist, I feel like you deserve to get in eventually. There's no finalist that I think absolutely should not be in the Hall of Fame. No questions asked. It's just a matter of you know figuring out the numbers and, mm-hmm. and how that works. But yeah, I guess the last thing I would just I guess my concern is just to put people in because of you know all Hall of Famers have one defining play. I think obviously, but just to say well put them in for one or two reasons. Like I think you need to see the full body of work and not necessarily you know. If, if you get injured, obviously, you know, Terrell Davis, Gale yeah. Sears, there's not a whole lot you can do about that. But just because you have a, I think, and we talk about this a lot on, T, on, on NFL Network, but there's a difference between the Hall of Fame and the Hall of Very, Very Good. And that's, and, you know, honestly, I don't know what the process was like in the 70s, but a lot of people would consider, you know, Lynn Swan someone getting in because of a couple of catches he made in the Super Bowl. When right. Were, and, you know, Joe Namath because of the guarantee in Super Bowl three. So and maybe, maybe that's on me. Maybe I have to relook how it's voted on, but, but. It needs to be more sustained longevity than just a couple good seasons. You know, they say mm-hmm. you have to dominate your position for yeah. almost an entire generation. Right. Not generation, but, you know. I guess it just depends on how you look at it. Because we look at guys like Curtis Martin and Jerome Bettis, the running back position, long, great careers. Mm-hmm. Was there any doubt Terrell Davis was better than them in that five-year stretch? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, I see what you're saying, and it, it's hard. It's it's not easy to, to stack up resumes. Mm-hmm. Two totally different players, a lot of times in different eras. It's hard to say. It's Maybe hard I'm, to tell. I think I'm just salty, and I think eventually T.O. will get in. And I think it's, you know, the longer you are a sports fan, I feel like, you know, now I, there's things that I have to endure that I didn't really want to have to endure. You know, the LeBron-Michael argument, and obviously now living with uh, five-time Super Bowl champion Tom Brady and, you know, T.O. Uh, as a Hall of Famer. I think there's things I'm maybe just not willing to accept, but yeah. that's the way it is. It's part of growing up, I guess. <laughs> well, Adam Musto, thanks for this discussion this was good hey it was a long nfl season glad you could be a part of this show checking in with us every couple weeks thanks for having me it was great
All right, big thanks to Adam Musto for coming on the show discussing Super Bowl 51. And I want to thank everybody out there that helped me cover football this year. It was a great, great NFL season. New England Patriots champs again. The more things change, the more they stay the same. But this game will go down in the history books. And I'm glad that everybody out there got to listen to me talk football with some of my friends. I think that's one of the best sports there is. And to do it with some good people to discuss the game, I think was great this year. The Money Mitch Effect can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Just search Money Mitch Effect on my Twitter, Money Mitch M21. We got one more show planned for you this week. We're gonna get into the Hall of Fame side of things. I think that's something we touched on a little bit. Look at some legacies there. Gotta talk hockey and basketball too. Sports keep going. It's now officially winter season mode. They are the alphas in the room. I am Mitch Michaels. Thanks again for listening to the Money Mitch Effect. Until next time, keep enjoying the sports.